Welcome to Metal Injections, the Squared Circle Pit. Today's special guest, Josh Boosty. And now, here is your host, Rob Hosfani. Thank you once again for tuning in to the Squared Circle Pit. I am Robert Pospani. It's been a few weeks. I took a little bit of a hiatus. I was a little overwhelmed with some metal injection work. But I'm getting the Squared Circle Pit ball rolling. I've got a few awesome, awesome guests in the next few weeks lined up. A bunch of summer touring is happening. I'm scheduling some interviews around the summer touring. And some wrestling fans that you might not have expected will be appearing on Squared Circle Pit in the next few weeks. This week, though, we're trying something a little new. I have a very special guest. I have Josh Bernstein. Now, to most of you, that name probably doesn't mean much, uh, unless you have a Jewish friend named Josh Bernstein. I guess it's a common name. But <laughs> Josh has been a huge fixture in the rock and metal scene. He was the inventor, the creator of the Revolver Golden Gods Awards, and now he's he's the uh, he's the guy doing the alt press, the AP awards, and Josh has a lot of great stories about booking wrestlers to appear on these award shows, including Chris Jericho and CM Punk, and he has basically the best Vince McMahon anecdote that I've ever heard, and it's so funny that I met Josh a real like about ten years ago now, maybe a little less. And we instantly bonded specifically about wrestling. We would never, you know, we worked for two, I guess you could say competing publishers, but we never treated it that way. There was never any ill will between us. And we always would just like, we would forget about the music business and all we would do is talk about wrestling. So I always wanted to get him on the show. And I figured this was a great reason to do so, seeing as though the AP awards are in a few weeks. And he talks about the similarities between booking a uh, award show and booking a wrestling show. We get a lot of good insider backstage info. Hopefully you enjoy it. As always, I love to hear your feedback. It really helps me to grasp that there are people actually listening to this. Uh, I mean, which I know there there is a lot of you. I, I look at the stats, but you know, getting actual feedback is always great. And you can hit me up with the feedback at Rob Injection is my Twitter handle, also Facebook and Instagram handle. And then uh, you can also follow Squared Circle Pit on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash Squared Circle Pit. I post wrestling matches. I post gifts and like fun stuff. Uh, even when, when uh, you know, we're not posting new episodes. So, so there's like fun wrestling content. And also on Twitter, at Squared Circle Pit, no E in the circle. And then, uh, uh, and you know what? I, I think I've talked enough. Let's get... To the interview, let's let Josh Bernstein enter the Squared Circle Pit. Now entering the Squared Circle Pit is a good friend of mine and a fellow New York wrestling fan. Uh, he works for Alt Press. He's like one of the one of the big dogs. What's your What's your official title? I have Josh Bernstein with me here. Uh, I am the. Uh, I just I just spaced. I wanted to say Kane's title. Um, I am. <laughs> I am the uh, uh, vice president of sales and uh, partnerships and uh, uh, executive producer of the AP awards. Exactly. Josh is responsible for bringing the award scene into, into the rock world. Uh, you also produced the first four, I believe uh, revolver golden gods. Uh, first five. Yeah. First, first five. five. Yeah. And, uh, 
also a, a massive wrestling fan, which is what we're going to focus on. And I'd also like to talk about, you know, with all your event experience and how that relates to wrestling. But let's start from the beginning. Uh, well, first off, who's your favorite wrestler? Woo! <laughs> um, Ric Flair, without a doubt, was 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 always my favorite. Um, and, you know, it's funny. It's that's such a. If you ask me tomorrow, it might be a different answer. But um, I've always, um, uh, you know, growing up when I was a little kid, it was Ricky Steamboat. Yeah. Uh, and then as I got older and appreciated learning more, it was definitely Ric Flair. Um, and then you know, I gotta say, when he first came out. Uh, and when he was at the top of his game, I, I don't think I don't think there's anybody better than Kurt Angle when he first came out. I just thought that was the greatest package. So, but I, I, Ric Flair, I, after that, that'll be my answer. Ric Flair. All right. Uh, you know, this isn't a courtroom. <laughs> All answers don't have to be final, but I, I will accept this answer. Okay. Uh, what, what would you say was your is your like earliest wrestling memory? Like, when how did you get into wrestling? Um, you know, it's, it might be embarrassing to say, but I imagine it's by how a lot of people got into wrestling. I remember being a Cindy Lauper fan and uh, as a kid and I saw the video and my dad says, Oh, that's Captain Lou Albano uh, is playing your dad. I said, who's that? He's like, Oh, he's a wrestler. Um, and I think I want to say her involvement in the first WrestleMania got me interested in it. And then eventually, you know, Hulk Hogan and, uh, you know, all those things at that time, I was an A-Team fan, so I knew Mr. T, and I, I watched, uh, you know, I was a big Rocky fan, so I knew Thunderlips and Hulk Hogan, so I, I think, I have to say, it might be Cindy Lauper, might be the might be the original. Interesting, so so early 80s pop culture drew you into pro wrestling, essentially. Absolutely, and I, I think I might have even seen the cartoon first before I saw real wrestling, like I watched the Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling cartoon. Yeah. And like Hillbilly Jim and, you know, they're all such colorful characters, uh, you know, Iron Sheik and Freddie Blassie. And it just it just kind of sucked me in there. And I, I, I can't remember. I can't say I, I can't take credit. I saw WrestleMania, the first one live or anything like that. But I want to say maybe I saw the second one on like closed circuit TV, at like a local theater or something. So you went to a movie theater to watch wrestling. I've always wondered about that. I was too young at the time to go. Yeah, there was a, um, there was a movie theater on Union Turnpike in Queens. Um, near where I grew up in Floral Park, and I think they had a closed circuit viewing of WrestleMania, and I think I remember being there. Yeah, I think that's. And then, you know, from there, and I definitely watched WrestleMania three because that was probably at the height of my, you know, because I went through phases, you know, where I'd be super into it and then yeah, bow out for a couple of years and then and then come back and be like, oh my god, it's the same guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they have a lot. You can still do that today. Right? Or it's, it's I mean, oh my god, so and so's kid or grandkid. Um, but yeah, I think I want to say I started like a closed circuit uh, theater. Wow. Yeah. And then so this is WWE. How did you get into like? How did you really dig in? Get into NWA and all that stuff. I think that was probably you know like in you know growing up in Queens, we only we didn't I didn't have cable, so we just had. Um, you know, whatever the Saturday morning wrestling show that was on, you know, where yeah. it was always, um, it was always squash matches. And then and like the final match would be like tugboat versus, you know, like Akeem. And I'm like, Oh my God, I can't right. they're fighting. <laughs> um, which compared to what you see now is just like, it was, it was probably so boring, but it was very exciting to me. I agree. Um, but I, I think I had older friends or cousins that would have the magazines and you could see the magazines and I'm like, who the hell are all these guys bleeding in the South? You know, it's like, right. Um, and you know, that's where I, you know, when you first see a picture of Dusty Rhodes or, I mean, I remember seeing the Road Warriors and being like, who the hell are those guys? 
Um, and when we moved to, we, my, my family and I moved to Long Island in 1986 uh, when I was about 10 years old. And all of a sudden we had cable. So on Saturdays on TBS, there was like this other wrestling show and I would watch beautiful Bobby Eaton and the uh, uh, Midnight Express and all these other guys I just never heard of before, but I was just addicted. And, and I remember my, my parents asked me for, you know, Hanukkah one year, like for my birthday, like, what do you want? And I said, I want a subscription to the wrestling. To I wanted the subscription to the WWE magazine. <laughs> uh, and my parents, you know, got me this gift. And it was a subscription to the WCW magazine. And I was oh, like, wow. so, I remember being so upset at the time because I was like, Oh, these guys! And like, I remember the first cover arrived, and it was it was the Steiner brothers with El Gigante, whatever his name was at the time, Johnny yep. Gonzalez or something. And I was like, "What is this crap?" Like, I want the you know, I don't want to read about PN News or <laughs> Arachnaman. Al Perez. But I actually got into it, and then I started yeah. really following both. And like, you know, I think by that time too, a couple, you know, guys I was fans of when I was a kid had jumped over to that side, so. So this is like early 90s now or like late 80s. Yeah, I think I, I, I probably got that subscription in 1990. So yeah. like, I think after – I was a big Roddy Piper fan too. So when he when he retired, in quotes, at um, at WrestleMania 3, I kind of – I didn't watch. I didn't, I, after that, I kind of left. So I didn't watch WrestleMania 4 or 5. Mm. And it wasn't until um, WrestleMania 6 happened that all my friends got back into it. You know, I think it was um, – we were, you know, at the time, you know, all huge Ultimate Warrior fans, you know, he right. beat up Rude and... Um, so let me ask you, now that's a good, now, so when I, when, you know, in the 80s, I was like a young kid, so Hulk Hogan was like, I was a total mark for Hulk Hogan, but I've heard from people older than me that he kind of suffered from the same syndrome that sort of John Cena is having right now, where like the older crowd was starting to reject him doing the same match over and over. You being a few years older than me, how did you feel about Hulk Hogan like a few years into his run? Yeah, it was, um, you know, it's funny because like his entire run was what, like four years? But like, you know, like, it's how long like Cesaro's been the WWE. It's like, yeah, like in, in perspective, it was not that long. But as a kid, I think you just reached a certain point of like, oh, this guy, I, you know, I, I didn't know moves or who was a good wrestler or anything, anything like that, that um, knowledge. You know, I, obviously as a kid watching, and I'm embarrassed to say now, like the Ricky Steamboat Randy Savage match, which is probably still my favorite match of all time. Mm -hmm. As a kid, I was into it because the Georgia Animal Steel. <laughs> you know, like well, yeah, I, you don't know. <laughs> I don't know, and uh, and probably because uh, as a young kid, I didn't understand watching Miss Elizabeth. I was like, oh my god, <laughs> most beautiful woman alive. She's so beautiful. Um, but um, you know, I I'd been turned off for a couple of years. I remember going to summer camp and a kid had all the wrestling. Um, posters up on his bunk and I was like dude wrestling's fake and we got into a bunch of arguments and oh so let, wait, let's talk about that like how did you discover I, know, I, I turned at one point I turned <laughs> and I was like oh it's fake maybe it wasn't it wasn't cool anymore and um, at that point I just kind of and I remember going to this kid's bar mitzvah and every <laughs> every table in his bar mitzvah was you know like you could sit at the oh junkyard dog table or the, <laughs> you know, the Nikolai Volkov table which was hilarious and I think my friends and I went to a, a live match. We went, we went to, at the time, the Brendan Byrne Arena, and it was headlined by uh, Rick Rude versus Ultimate Warrior. And we all went, and we all chipped in together and bought a like a foam uh, belt. And uh, the rule was is like we would beat each other up every day, and whoever beat each other up the most got to take the belt home for that like that day or two. Right. And then we'd all meet up again and you know exchange the belt. It wasn't anything like backyard wrestling. We were just. You know, wrestle just around. Just play fighting in the, in the living room. Yeah, like everyone. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, and 
It was, it was at the time one of my friends had those. Uh, I don't know what you call them, like wrestling buddies. Like it was like those. Yeah. So we <laughs> beat that thing up too. Um, and slowly but surely, kind of, you know, I got back into it. And then, you know, Ultimate Warrior was so exciting, and you know, heavy metal music playing, and then. Um, the fact that he was going to fight Hulk Hogan was was really exciting. When he won, it was the most exciting thing in the world. Um, it was like you know our guy all of a sudden because you know um, I didn't know a time before Hulk Hogan. I, I didn't you know I've heard of like Bob Backlund and other people like that yeah. or superstar Billy Graham, but you know that's that's like my dad's wrestling. So I didn't really know I didn't really know any of that stuff and um, and then got really back into it. Um, you know the first match I saw live ever I think it was in 1987. My dad took me to Nassau Coliseum. Uh, they did. It was called a bunkhouse brawl, and they um, the the the, uh, the main event was a twenty man over the top battle royal. And at the very then the twentieth guy in the ring came in in full Islanders gear, hockey mask, the whole thing, and started just cracking people in the heads with a hockey stick, which at the time was like mind blowing. Yeah, like, pretty you know, violent. For- really violent, and uh, you, never, you know, you, you know, foreign object before that was like a megaphone or you know, Mister Fuji salt. So it was like really like. <laughs> He's hitting people with a hockey stick, and at the end, he cleared the ring and ripped off the mask, and it was Roddy Piper. And you know, the place like erupted. It was like the coolest thing I've ever seen. Um, and I, I want to say also around that time, my dad took me to a, a high school wrestling match at a gym, and we saw Kamala uh, like really up close, and that kind of scared the crap out of me. <laughs> I was so afraid as a kid of Adrian Adonis. Oh my like, God. like deathly afraid because, you know, Adrian Adonis was kind of doing like this – Cross-dresser gimmick or or like a yeah like, he had like uh, yeah he had like one eye painted and like and then like a piece of fabric on his wrist yeah. <laughs> yeah I guess it was more like androgynous and I don't know why but it scared me so much I just I have this memory of like watching superstars or wrestling challenge and he would be coming out and I would literally run to my room and go under my covers and be like tell me when it's over and my I remember my parents finding this so funny and I'm like this isn't funny that guy's scared well you know like. The reason another wrestler in the 80s I was a huge, huge fan of, now I look back and, and kind of like, you know, it's so not cool as a wrestling fan to say this, but I was a huge mark for Brutus the Barber Beefcake. And when oh, he, for sure. When he cut his hair at the end of WrestleMania 3, I thought that was, I think that's why he became the barber. Yeah. Um, I thought that was so cool, you know, and I, I thought Brutus the Beefcake was so cool. I look back now, he's like barely wearing clothes. He's like, yeah, he's basically like a glam metal guy. But at the time, when you were a kid, it's like he's so vibrant. Like, he had the cool colors. He's, Same he's as Ultimate Warrior. scissors and stuff. I yeah. thought it was pretty cool. So, um, I, th- I think it's acceptable as a child to think Brutus the Barber yeah, Beefcake. I wasn't was. into the booty man or Zodiac. No, no. Once he went to WCW, it was just, it, he was a shell of his former self. Exactly. We had that, yeah, that, I remember that, that parasailing incident was like, it was very, oh, yeah. yeah, that was sad. Yeah. I remember those interviews with, with like Vince McMahon and Hogan right before WrestleMania nine talking about how you didn't have a face, right? Very crazy stuff. But I also want to touch on one other thing you mentioned, which, you know, when I've talked to people before, they always like laugh at me. You mentioned when you lived in Queens, you didn't have cable. And this was a thing in the 80s, like when cable was first starting, you couldn't just get it wherever you wanted like in my neighborhood too i wasn't able to get cable like my building wasn't service for cable until the mid 90s until like 95 96 i'm assuming you had the same thing when you lived in queens you just yeah you, it, it was, was impossible uh, to get it. well and you and this is very unique to being growing up in queens and brooklyn we had uhf so um yeah i would watch you know I, I literally as a kid wanted my mtv like i didn't have it so i would watch like i don't know like what is it uncle floyd or something and then like you'd watch these other video shows and I, my dad and I would just we would just press record on the VCR for hours just so we'd have tapes full of rock videos 
um, which are funny. I found them recently, and they're like there's commercials for like Crystal Pepsi and or New Coke or something and uh, things like that. And um, that's how I discovered most of that stuff. But yeah, you know the the other I guess what was the the YouTube back then or the WWE Network was your local video store or my local video store would have a wrestling videotape section. Absolutely. And and I know you you and I are both fans of those like classic. Uh, tape covers, right? The, the Royal Rumble guys all like, oh, yeah. I think that's the coolest thing in the world because I'm a big comic book nerd as well. And I was like, oh man, this looks like a comic book. Um, so I would just go and rent like Super Tape 9 or like, you know, whatever whatever they have at the videos. My dad owned a pet shop that was like in a, in a mini mall with a video store. So, you know, they're friends with the owner. So I could just go in there and um, endlessly rent wrestling videos so i would just you know i'd, I'd, I'd rent uh tuesday night titans and um fuji vice whatever whatever those weird tapes were at the yeah, time yeah yeah no there uh, were there were so many great there was like wrestle fest or whatever i yeah. remember there were like these these super events these yeah. house shows that they would make like tapes of and i remember there was like a a mat like a, a hogan Paul Orndorff match in like a cage or something. Yeah. Or the Saturday, you know, Saturday night's main event was the other thing. I yeah. Was so allowed, like my parents would allow me to stay up for that. So yeah, yeah, that was. I have a, like one of my earliest memories of wrestling is my entire family. Like I got into wrestling through my family. My family got me into because everyone watched like right around '87, uh, like right after WrestleMania three, the main event where it was uh, Hogan versus Andre with the two refs where like Andre. Oh, the original screw job. <laughs> and I just remember my whole family being like so pissed, like what's going on? Hogan was cheated. And, and it was so exciting. And then I feel like shortly after that, everyone stopped watching wrestling except for me, <laughs> like how you mentioned it. <laughs> and like my parents were embarrassed that they got me into it. Well, you know what I loved and I still love to this day because I still find myself doing it as a now 40 year old wrestling fan. Um, I'll still say I'll still say things out loud like, no, I know wrestling's fake, but like that, that was real, and like, yeah, and, and I and I still and I and my wife's always like, what the, what the hell is with you? But I still find myself like, I think I want to suspend belief, you know. And yeah. as, a, as a kid, you know, the big storyline I remember hooking me as a kid was I don't know if you remember, this might be before your time, but they did this. Bobby Heenan did this bit where he had the machines, and it was um, oh love no was Bobby Heenan. I think it was, it was Bobby Heenan. Uh, was the machines manager. But yeah, the machines were, you know, it was clearly Andre the Giant. And yeah. Two other guys. And I, I was like, like, it's Andre the Giant. They're like, no, it's not. No, yeah, it's yeah. not. And I, you know, as a kid, I was like, oh my God, this I is. I love a, the machines. Yeah. You know, it was so cool. I think it was, I think one of the guys was Axe and maybe Blackjack Mulligan ended up, yeah. ended up being, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known who those guys were at the time, but. Uh, the uh, Andre was clearly Andre. No, I had that that weird like giant body. So yeah, I remember there was like one of those tapes. They had like a house show match, and one of the machines was like the Hulk machine, and it was just Hulk Hogan, like very clearly Hulk Hogan in the machine mask doing all the Hulk Hogan stuff. And I like I love the machines. I, I, I think that was them. you know they always talk about like greatest factions of all time, and I I, I feel like that's they're 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 a horrible omission from that list. Yeah, like, it's very underrated. Be cool. But anyway, uh, that's that's what uh. I remember that. I also remember uh, there was a match where I forget who the other team was, but like Hulk Hogan was teaming with Gene Okerlund and they did like this whole Rocky training montage. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. For, for Mean Gene. <laughs> and I just I, like, I always just have the image of him, like Hogan busting like four raw eggs into a cup and making Mean Gene drink it. And he's like, no, don't make me do this. 
Like that was good stuff. But let's let's move on. Uh, uh, so you you got into music and, and you've been rather successful. <laughs> and what I always appreciated about you is you always tried to bring in bring in wrestling into music, like with the Revolver Golden Gods. I remember, uh, I believe at the first one, you got CM Punk to come in yep. uh, and present an award. And this was right as he won the Money in the Bank. How did that, like, how did you have that idea? And how is it bringing wrestling people into the, the metal world? Well, I, um, you know, I, I started, I, I worked at like many, many magazines when I was about 27. Um, I started working at Guitar World and eventually Revolver. So when I was 20. Or 21, whatever year, maybe it was like 21 or something like that. Or I, I worked at a teen magazine. It was a teen version of Parade magazine. And I kept on telling them, this was right at the height of the Monday Night Wars, and I, when I gotten very much back into it. And I was like, man, there's, there's wrestling's huge now. It was like on the, on the cover of Entertainment Weekly. And it was, you know, it became it was a real pop culture moment. And I kept on telling my bosses, we got to cover this. We got to cover this. And he's like, oh, we don't cover wrestling. And I said, he's like, tell me, a, give me a, give me a, Give me a hook. Like, what's the hook for the story? It can't be wrestling's popular. And I was like, there's this Jewish wrestler. It doesn't make any sense. And his name is Goldberg. And he's like the biggest thing. The streak was still happening at the time. I said, I can interview him about being like a religious Jew wrestler. And they're like, somehow they bought this idea. They sent me out to <laughs> Nassau Coliseum yes. to interview Goldberg. And I have the card somewhere. I saw the guys, you know, whoever the head of talent relations from WCW invited me backstage. He goes, "Hey, wait here." Wasn't it John Laurinaitis? <laughs> it wasn't. Oh, I would have remembered that. <laughs> Johnny Ace. No, no, no it, was, it was. a really. It was. It was a very nice guy. His name was Alan something. Um, he wasn't. A, he wasn't like a former wrestler. He was gotcha. like a, a civilian. Um, <laughs> and um, they put me like in this waiting area. They said, "Yeah, well, uh, Goldberg will be out in a second. Just wait here." And as I'm sitting there, Eddie Guerrero walks in. Chris Benoit. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that still. Chris Benoit. <laughs> um, Ric Flair walked in. Bam Bam Bigelow. Perry Saturn. And I'm just standing there just like... <laughs> like I imagine how people, like you and I, I'm sure we're, we're jaded assholes at a heavy metal show. Like, oh, there's Dave Mustaine. You know? Yeah. Whatever the equivalent of a normal fan would be backstage at a Metallica concert is me backstage at a wrestling event. And I was like... I agree completely. Oh, my <laughs> God. Oh, my... It's... it's is that Billy Kidman? I can't breathe. Um, <laughs> and I was kind of blown away that, especially when like Flair and Jericho walked in, that I was like, huh, those guys aren't six foot four, 300 pounds. Like those, I think they're lying a little about the size of the people, except when Kevin Nash and, um, you know, Paul White were back there. I was like, holy yeah. fuck, those guys are big. Um, so I eventually I go in and interview Goldberg and it was the most intimidating thing in the world. He was, there was, I asked him what the difference was between his character and who he is. And he's like, there's no, he just sat there with a bucket and he spat, he just spit in the bucket the whole time. He was talking to me. I don't know why. And as I'm interviewing him across the other dressing room is Scott Steiner and Virgil. And Scott Steiner is just lifting weights the whole time eyeballing me. And I'm scared to death. Like that guy is like legitimately, I'm still scared of Scott Steiner. Yeah. Um, he's like, he's like as wide as a truck. He's, yeah. He's he looks like, he's like, he would just kill you for fun. So, um, the reason I bring this up is I met, you know, in 1998, I met Chris Jericho there and um, was a huge, huge fan. And, you know, at the time, he was, you know, same deal. We're, as wrestling fans, we were bored of the honky-tonk guys and Hacksaw and Meng and whoever and Nasty Boys. and well, like Chris, don't, don't drag Meng into this, okay? No, Leave Meng, Haku no, out of it. No. Tonga Kid's awesome. But <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, pull your eyes out. 
My apologies. My apologies. But yeah, yeah, the dumb gimmicks are. It, we were, it, it, we're tired it, of like Hogan's it, friends being there, and yeah. guys like Eddie Guerrero and um, Chris Jericho and uh, Chris Benoit were so exciting. So yeah, um, it was so weird. Like it's so weird now watching the w, like old Nitros and how like they'll have these matches in like ninety eight, ninety nine that are so revolutionary, like like Rey Mysterio psychosis or or yeah. Jericho and Dean Malenko, like all these cruiserweights and like the undercard is so full of some of the best matches you would see at the time but then the top of the card was just atrocious like there was nothing there yeah and there you know so it just really um you know i was excited you know what drew me back in was that i didn't know hogan and piper and savage and all those and razor ramon and diesel yeah. all those guys i'd known but all of a sudden There's i was like, watching like guys like eddie Guerrero and ray mysterio and i was like i've never seen anything like that before it's very exciting yeah yeah, yeah. So you you hit it off with Jericho there, and then I met Chris there, and then a couple years later, I I started you know a zine with some buddies called Royal Flush, as I know you you're aware of, and one of the first celebrities we ever approached uh, was was Chris Jericho. We had gotten contact. Someone passed me the contact information for the band Fozzy when the band first launched, and um, my friend my fr my friend begged to interview him. I set them up, and that we did an interview with Chris in the magazine, and that that had gone very well. So. Um, I know I haven't told this story often, but this Shane McMahon is insanely influential in the reason we have a Golden God Awards and any of anything we're about to discuss here. Shane um, McMahon. Shane McMahon. This is a true story. Okay, let's hear this. So I had been a Revolver, and I had gotten a job offer from the WWE. I went up to interview uh, at WWE to be the creative director or design director of their magazine. Um, the fact that I had previously worked at Maxim. Um, was very exciting to them. They wanted their magazine to be their own Maxim. And most of the staff of the WWE magazine at that point was former Maxim writers, editors. Oh, I, I, I vaguely remember, like, they also, like, brought in the editor of Maxim to run the magazine, right? When yeah. they, like, relaunched yeah, it. Yeah, Rob. Uh, I'd worked with previously, and he was a good dude. I, his last name was actually Bernstein. Uh, no, no relation. But I went and interviewed up there. Um, and it, at the time, Shane McMahon was in charge of that division. Um um, in real life. Uh, yeah, in new media, and, right? He was the head of new media or something like that. And I interviewed and it went well, and they were, but I would have had to commute to Stanford. And I was like, I don't really know about this. It's kind of weird. Um, and they offered and, a boatload of money. I don't know if they still do it at the time, but I feel like they had an insecurity of being like, we're wrestling, so we'll overpay. Like I mentioned when they launched the network, they overpaid staff to get people from ESPN or Fox. You know, like They did the same thing for the magazine world. So compared to what I was making, it seemed like I was going to be a millionaire. Um, and I was kind of being wishy-washy about it. And then they offered to like set me up in an apartment in Stanford. And I was like, wow, this is really... They really want exciting. you. <laughs> yeah, they really want me. This is exciting. Um, and I went back to my boss at Revolver, who's was such a great dude and still one of my good friends. Uh, and I said, listen, I have this opportunity. It's for a lot more money. He's like, we can't match that. But if you stay, we'll let you do that award show idea you had. Um, and that, I said, you know what? I'll stay and they'll let me launch the Golden God, what became the Golden God Awards. Um, so I agreed to stay and, and do the award show. And um, a couple of weeks later, me and Corey Grow, and I think you know Corey, who's now yeah. Uh, Rolling Stone, me and Corey went to go to an ACDC concert at the Garden. Um, black, big train, black train, ball train, ball train, whatever, whatever that album was at the time, mm -hmm. 2008. Um, we're on the floor of the Garden, 
and behind us is like, like an entire row that's empty. And the show starts and the row's still empty. I don't think anything of it at the time until maybe two or three songs in, a security guard comes down with like a earpiece. He's like, all right, the aisle's clear. Send him on in. And in walks Vince McMahon, John Laurinaitis, uh, I don't know his real name, Brother Love. Um, Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard, thank you. Uh, Shane McMahon, and then fucking John Cena. And all with, and I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, completely not with who are their wives. Like, just the hottest chicks you've ever seen. Like Some high-class women. <laughs> yeah, but like women, I was like, that's not Linda McMahon. Um, <laughs> you know, and I was like, and I was sitting right in front of Vince McMahon. And I was like, I just, I just couldn't control. And, you know, Corey's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I can't control myself and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, so, okay, you turn around and you see this, like, how hard are you marking out right now? Like, in turn, you're like, I'm sitting oh, in front of I am like, <laughs> I cannot control myself. I am like twitching and, and, and like, you have to do something, right? You have I'm to <laughs> people. And I turn around to Vince, I say, Mr. McMahon, pleasure to meet you. I, 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 it, this isn't sitting right with me. He goes, what do you mean, Mike? I can't in good conscience know that I have a better seat than you. Please take my seat. And he goes, kid, kid, come on, come on, turn around, enjoy the show. Come on, enjoy the show. <laughs> like, seriously, like, please take my seat. He's like, come on, just enjoy the show, enjoy it. Um, and I go out to get like, um, like a beer, whatever. I come back and I see John Cena. I'm like, oh man, the champ is here. He goes, yeah, the fucking champ is here. And I was like, oh, okay, this guy's not friendly. <laughs> and I can tell like, they're all like pretty annoyed. But then I said, oh, I'll talk to Shane. I went, hey, Shane, nice to meet you. Like, uh, I actually interviewed, and I mentioned, like, the names of the people I interviewed with, you know, recently. And I'm like, I ended up staying to do this award show, but, um, you know, I'd still love to work with your talent and invite some of the artists down. And he was so cool. And he goes, here's my card. Give me a ring on Monday. Uh, we'll talk more. Um, I said, absolutely. And through Shane McMahon, we talked. And I told him my vision for the Golden God Awards. And I wanted Chris Jericho to host. Um and Chris wasn't available at the time, but he put me in touch with all the right people. And they said they offered up CM Punk instead. Nice. And I, said, and I said, oh, man, we have Killswitch Engage on the show. And you do, you do their theme song. Like, would you come out and introduce, um, introduce their performance? Yeah. So they came out um, to the show. And it was so funny. I remember being backstage and um, uh, gave Phil, like, a brick of, like, uh, drink tickets. I'm like, hey, it's a bunch of drink tickets. And he goes, like, what's this for? I'm like, oh, it's for, like, free drinks. He goes... I'm straight edge, asshole. I went, oh, I didn't know that was a real thing. He goes, yeah, it's a real fucking thing. I went, ah, oh. I'm like, you know, like big boss man's like not really a cop. He goes, I'm really straight edge. I went, well, you can get soft drinks. <laughs> but, you know, he and I ended up, you know, hitting it off. And obviously that'll, you know, play into some, I'm sure, uh, stories that we'll talk about later. But um, that went out, that, that just worked out really well. Uh, and that from that point on, we had uh, made a deal with the WWE to doubly also help them promote um, WrestleMania and um, do an art. I think we did an article like 20 most metal moments at Revolver uh, in WrestleMania history. Of course, you know, Ozzy with the British Bulldogs, Alice Cooper with Jake the Snake, um, Stained <laughs> performing. <laughs> yeah. Or drowning, one of drowning or pool. It was drowning. But um, it became a very um, mutually beneficial relationship. Um, and then, of course, the following year, um, we needed a new, uh, Brian Posehn was the host the first year. It did, did a great job and great dude. Uh, the next year we wanted to change it up and, you know, um, uh, we had a new editor, Brandon and, you know, Brandon really wanted Andrew WK. I, I wanted Jericho and we both compromised and got him, had them both host, you know, and, um, 
it worked out really well. So, and then we started working with uh, you know Chris uh, Jericho ended up hosting the award show for those next four years. Yeah, he became like the de facto uh, uh, host of the show. And it was it was great because he you know one year like he's like right before the show started he goes I'm gonna work this this year heel I'm like wait what he's like yeah just watch this <laughs> and he just went up there and he's like he said a couple inflammatory things he goes you know basically he's like boo me all you want like I have a mic you know you don't have a mic and I was like oh my god look at this guy go <laughs> um, and it totally it totally worked and um, it's funny you know, like, you, you know especially in his case like I said I met him when I was like 20 or something or 21 and I was I was a big fan and, and then uh, eventually got to work with him and you know later uh, become friends um, and yeah. uh, He's um, as much as we're wrestling fans, he is a metal fan, you know. Absolutely, yeah, for sure, and, and yeah. still, like honestly, as relevant as ever, he's killing it right now. I feel, in terms of uh, uh, keeping his character fresh, he is he is such a better. Uh, it's of all things, actually, coincidentally, we we were talking early this morning. Um, I every once in a while I'll try to help him get. Um, you know, uh, put him in touch with people to uh, be guests on his podcast from the music space. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was just, you know, I was like, drink it in, baby. Drink it in. Like, I just love, <laughs> I love, he's such a better heel, you know. Yeah, he's and a great heel. He, he plays the, uh, what do you want to call it, the asshole to like a T. You know, he really does that so well. Yeah, it's, it's honestly, uh, I feel like it, he's kind of a modern Ric Flair in that sense, in that, he could work with anybody and just make it work and, and like carry them to a good angle and a fun, uh, an acceptable match. Chris Jericho doesn't have bad matches. At worst, he'll have a good match. He really, it's it's so impressive. Like you know, like you look at that recent um, Extreme Rules thing. Like yeah, I, I, that's when I got my neighbor and his son into wrestling recently. They came over and watched it, and I got them tickets to that. And I was trying to see, like, in the, you know, his the twelve year old neighbor is a big Dean Ambrose fan, and I was like, oh, Jericho, dude. Uh, and I was like, you know, Jericho didn't have to do that. You're like 40, 45 yeah, years old. He didn't have to. to do that. But he's probably the only veteran that comes back, you know, on a quasi reduced schedule and puts every young talent over without any question. Like he's he really cares about the business in in a way that you uh, you see a lot of the older people get selfish, and you see it in the let's be honest, you see it in the music space too a lot too. Yeah. You know? Well, maybe it's just like he was so poorly handled in WCW and he was a young guy that stayed with him. And he's like, when I become a veteran, I don't want to be like that. I want to I want to put the guys over. Uh, I have a, a, a small Chris Jericho story where I completely made a fool of myself in front of Chris Jericho. Uh, it was that year that uh, Black Belt Brides won, won an award. And uh, I forget which one it was, but it was like Fans Choice or something. And then yeah. like, Andy Black went on stage and cut... Like he was, they were getting booed by the crowd because I believe it was the, the greatest heel promo I've yeah. ever seen. So like the whole crowd is Metallica fans, so obviously they hate uh, Black Veil Brides, and he cuts the best heel promo. He's like, "You guys are losers because you're all out there, and I'm up here with this award." It was just like heel promo 101. And so at, after after the awards, you know, in the VIP area or whatever, he Andy Black is talking to Chris Jericho, and drunkenly, I just decided I'm going to go up to him and be like, "Hey, man." Uh, I, I don't, I'm not a, a fan of your band necessarily, but that was the best heel promo ever. And at the time I thought I was paying him a compliment, but now I realize like what a jerk I was being by saying it like that. Like, Hey, your band sucks, but that was great. <laughs> and so him and Jericho, like re they like, like destroyed me verbally. And like, 
and, and like, uh, I believe Jericho says, so like, what are, you're just the guy that wears uh, funny shirts out on the red carpet. And I'm like, ouch. All right. I'll, I'll see you guys later. All right. Good, good talk. Hey, that was, that was your gimmick at the time. It um, was my gimmick. I'm not saying it was. <laughs> you know, it's when that was happening on stage. And it's so funny, like, um, Andy Biersack, by the way, is, is, is one of the, uh, is such a huge wrestling fan, by the way. And that's a, you know, I think that's why, uh, you know, there's a, that kind of secret culture that we all kind of, and I think you've talked about it on your podcast too, which is like, you can meet someone like, Hey, I always think about that moment after that, after that award show, um, uh, Pat Driscoll was a good friend of mine and it was the head writer of the award show that year. After the award show, we were all in that after party lounge and said, Hey Rob, meet my friend Pat. You go, everyone's, Hey, nice to meet you. I'm like, Oh, you guys are both wrestling fans. And then an hour later, you guys were still talking like, Oh yeah. I remember like, that. It, it just, it's a natural thing. And so behind, so the funny thing is behind the little host position, the gorilla position, if you will, um, <laughs> when Andy was doing that, that that heel promo, which was so great, he called the audience fat and, and all these great things. And, um, you know, cr me, Chris and Pat were like, we were dying back there, you know, and, you know, he's like, oh, my God, he turned heel. He turned, you know, Chris is just shouting like uh, like Jr. back there. <laughs> and we're, we're dying laughing. We hugged those guys that came off stage and they were, you know, they were drunk and angry. They were, that was that was not a joke to them. Um, and there's a great photo of all of us in the VIP lounge all after you know, drinking and having a good time. But, um, you know, that, that story followed Andy around for quite a while. Um, and uh, <laughs> it was, you know, the same thing happened same year with, with Dillinger Escape Plan when Greg Pucciato cut his, um, you know, they kept on wanting to do something kind of dramatic on stage. And he's like, can I, you know, kick in your LED screen? Can I light the stage on fire? I'm like, no, no, no. He's like, can I cut myself? I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't give a shit. You know, you can, you can hurt yourself. <laughs> you know, we had this like powwow with like, Ben Wyman and all those guys. And um, when he cut himself, then same deal. Chris was like, "Oh man, I wish you told me. I would have showed him how to cut himself. He's cutting himself completely wrong. There's a way to do it." Um, so like the, the overlap of the wrestling and the and the, and the metal always worked. And I gotta say, like that those award shows were all, always about the, the best way. You know, you have a lot of uncontrollable egos. So how do you control their egos? Which is basically, uh, how do you ego check? Dave Mustaine, you better get Rob Halford in the room and he will he will be quiet in two seconds. You want to get Rob Halford to be quiet? You put Lemmy in the room. Um, you want to, you know, and if, you know, and no one's going to talk loud around Ozzy. And it's just, or Dio, whoever, whoever was at the time. And at and, and the same point in time, as much as these guys are big metal stars, they were around a wrestler. Uh, I remember one year we had like the Dallas Cowboys there and Vinnie Paul was like a Vinnie Paul turned into like a little child. He was like, Oh my God, it's the Dallas Cowboys. What do I do? Can I get an autograph? Um, <laughs> you know, Dave Mustaine came in once and, uh, handed a skateboard deck to Bam Margera to get an autograph. And I was like, wow, this is so bizarre. Like, so everyone is, everyone out there will make somebody else feel 13, you know, and, and make you feel like a young fan. And, um, is you know so many, if the rest, if the rock stars didn't, you know, completely love wrestling or love Chris, you best believe their kids did, and they became cool dad or cool uncle for getting an autograph right. from those guys. So, um, and he was always a, he was always a sincere fan. Um, you know, his tastes um, you know leaned a little older than maybe a lot of stuff we were covering, but he was legitimately you know friends with half those guys and um, and just a, a big fan. Um, and I, I, by the end of it, I felt like he became like a, my partner in crime and getting those shows done. One um, wonderful guy to work with. Love him. That's really cool. Yeah. And I remember uh, uh, talking to you during during that time and you were you were always trying to like pitch 
having the Slammy Awards in WWE okay. as like its own award, like not a Raw episode as like its own. Is there any is there any like greater missed opportunity for the WWE than to like I, I've done like I've done like an eighteen page like like full blown business plan that's been submitted to Triple H. Like I've uh, um, I haven't got any official responses or don't you know we know what we're doing. Thanks, um, but to me. Um, whether they treat that, you know, they treat that show, I would say they treat it like a joke, but like, it seems to like just serve to like line up like little quick feuds that night. You know, it's just, you could do that the night before, <clears throat> you know how the, the, um, WrestleMania, there's the hall of fame, there's yeah. NXT. Like, why don't you do the same thing pegged to SummerSlam in LA and you can invite all these celebrities and rock stars and athletes to walk the carpet and be presenters and you could really make it a big deal. Um, I just think it's a great missed opportunity for them uh, and a revenue stream that doesn't exist. And um, and the voting can be real. I don't know. I don't know if the voting. I think it is real. Yeah, no, it, it, is, it is real. I apologize, but it's. I think it could be made bigger than it is, and you have it's been going on for what thirty years or something like that. I'm sure there's some great classic clips of like Vince McMahon singing. <laughs> some other stand weird. back, stand back. Great, great underrated track. Um, <laughs> no one wears a vest like that man, but uh, it's. Uh, yeah, it's uh, one day. I mean, I, I uh, maybe I have to do like 20 or 30 of these shows before. Yeah, I remember like uh, so bigs. you mentioned Triple H. Like he won like most metal athlete one year. Oh, my God. That's a great story, too. Yeah, he um, this is uh, I, I want to get the guy in trouble. But at that time period, I befriended Triple H's personal assistant through through that conversation. He was a big metal fan. And I was like, hey, man, what's your address? You know, and I just like. We were like gift. We were giving away a guitar at at, um, at Revolver for some contest. Whoever won it, like, whatever. They didn't send us their address. We had just basically had an extra like shreddy guitar around the office. And I was like, I'll send this to Triple H just as a solid. I had met I had met him. This is so embarrassing for him, but there used to be a hair salon in the same building as Revolver, um, and it was like really fancy. Like you know, like you get like champagne when you get your haircut. Um, and I, I can never afford to be there other than the fact that we worked in the building. We got a very in, intense discount. And one day I was – it was all soap opera stars in there and famous people. And then one day I'm getting my hair cut and directly across from me is, is, is Triple H. <laughs> and I just leaned over and I went, oh, hey, man. Big fan. He goes, thanks. I'm like – we're and it was when we, right when we did that WrestleMania article. So I said, oh, we're interviewing you later today. He goes, who the hell are you? I'm like, oh, I'm from Revolver. We're going to interview you later. He goes – and he goes – Okay, and just like went by, hid behind the mirror. Obviously, like I'm annoying him. And then he goes, he checked his phone. He goes, Josh Bernstein on it. Yeah, he goes, nice to meet you. And I was like, holy shit! Like he like someone he, he must have emailed someone like right off the bat. Um, and I said, oh yeah, I'm good friends with Chris Jericho. I heard you guys just went and saw Metallica the other night. He goes, yeah, fucking pussy. Fucking Jericho was crying. He was so excited. Fucking pussy. <laughs> and I was like, what a weird. And I, I texted Chris. I'm like, this guy's like. You know, busting your balls. It's like fuck him. I wasn't crying. Um, <laughs> so um, years later, yeah, we nominated every year. We nom we had a best athlete category, and it'd always be you know, a baseball player, an MMA fighter, basketball player, whoever we could find that year that we felt was like really you know, waving the medal flag. And um, one year we did the Miz, which was cool. You know, and uh, I had met him years ago also, so it was kind of weird to see him that he became a wrestler and. Uh, the, the last year we did was Triple H, the, the year with Metallica, and he won, but he couldn't be there. So 
like a little, uh, I'll use a bit of Yiddish here, like a schnur. I was like, oh, you know, if it's easier, I could just bring you the award in person to, uh, <laughs> you know, to the SmackDown taping. Um, so his personal assistant was like, yeah, you know, come, I'll meet you. And uh, I brought Pat Driscoll with me. And I was like, Pat, man, we go backstage, man. Be cool. Don't like, don't be a, don't be a mark. Just be cool. Uh, just, you know, let's, let's eyes on the prize. We're just going to meet Triple H, call it a day. And the minute we got back there, I, I totally lost it. You know, Kane walked by without a mask. At the time, he had been masked for many years. You know, Randy Orton walked by us. The Shield walked by us. And I was like, and, you know, we, we walked into catering first to find Triple H. And, like, everyone's sitting there eating. And I'm like, this is so cool. Um, and at that time, Paul Heyman was back there at the height of, like, when he first came back with Brock Lesnar. And um, I was just so – I was probably more enamored by him than anybody else. Um, and then to Pat's credit, out of nowhere, I hear a voice going, hey, Pat! And Mick Foley came out of, like, nowhere with his kids, and Pat had worked with him on something. So we're hanging out, and I'm hanging out, and then finally Jer uh, Triple H comes over. We take some photos together with the trophy, and we're hanging out with him. And, you know, I told him the story about the hair salon, and he was laughing. Um, and then out of nowhere, I hear, like, hey, Paul, why are you talking to that fucking Jew? And Jericho comes around the corner <laughs> and punches me. And um, you know, we're all like hanging out. I'm just looking at Pat like this is surreal. And there's all like the Triple H called over the WWE photographers. He's like, where's WWE photographers? Fucking revolver guys are here. Get some fucking photos. And uh, all of a sudden, like they're doing like a photo shoot of us just hanging out with him. You know, like Stephanie was there and Laurinaitis. And we're just right there in, in the thick of the backstage area. And I just it was it was incredible. It was the coolest night. And then they, they're like, oh, well, you guys want to go watch the show? And they put us in the second row. It was like us and McFoley's kids um, sitting at the side of the ring. And I was like, this is great. Which is great because Zook is like, and Jericho came out of the ring to wrestle. We're like, you suck, asshole. <laughs> you suck, Jericho. You're a horrible host of the Golden Gods. And you, we're totally trying to distract them, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm glad you say that because uh, I recently got uh, my friend Sam Roberts, he has a show on Sirius XM. And yeah. so he got like house show tickets to MSG. And we were in the second row, uh, same as you, and the best tickets I've ever had to a wrestling show. And it's so crazy that experience because you realize the wrestlers can hear you. <laughs> and, 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 it, and, it, and so I remember. Yeah, being, like, you check your insults pretty quickly. You're like, oh, wait, I don't know. Wait, you know. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's exactly what happened to me because, okay, so Big Show comes out. And so, like, I'm joking around, like, uh, like, oh, he's not that big. He's not that big. And then, like, so he's, he's like, taking his time around the ring. And, uh, like, he gets thrown out of the ring by Mark Henry. So he's, t he's pacing around. And I just yell out, catch your breath, big show. And I don't know why, but that set him off so bad. He turned around. He's like, shut the fuck up, you fat bastard. Who the hell do you think you are? Like, like I'm in here, like... You know, like he really, really like, like, you know, ripped me a new one. Right. And on the one hand, I was like, oh, shit, I didn't mean to piss him off. But on the other hand, I was so pumped that a wrestler roasted me. That's know? like, it's like, it's like an honor, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I honestly, I couldn't believe that he actually heard me. Like, like I was, I was, you know. I was being a heckler, but just, I never, you don't assume that the person's going to hear you and say something back. No, no. It's, and it's like, well, once that happens, you're kind of like, you're a little, almost in a little bit of a panic because you're like, oh, wow, I didn't, I didn't really expect this. And I hope he doesn't hate me. I hope he doesn't yeah, take this too personal. Yeah. You know, when I went, when I went in like 90, 
97 or 98, there's a, I have a photo still, which is haunts me, which I took a photo. I, I remember yelling at the four horsemen coming back from the dressing room. I, I had really good WCW seats. I took a photo. And in the photo, Chris Benoit is locking eyes with me, like staring at me like I'm going to kill you. And I'm like, and uh, in hindsight, now I look at that photo. I'm like, this is the scariest looking photo I've ever seen. Yeah, right. Uh, and I remember my friends bragging after that. They went to the local Marriott Hotel and hung out with him at the bar. I'm like, cool-ish. Um so the best part of being friends with Triple H's assistant was maybe a couple weeks later, I left Revolver. You know, it was soon after that award, after that Metallic year, I left, and I was, um, I went up back to Stanford for a job interview because at the time they were about to launch the network, and I was interviewing to be a creative director of the network. That wasn't, I don't think what it, what it, what it became, but I had a really interesting interview up there, and then I called up the assistant. He's like, "Oh, dude, come up to the offices and say hi while you're here." And he's like, you know, he's like, Paul's on vacation, actually. Do you want to, like, go check out his office? I'm like, okay. And, like, he took me into Triple H's just, like, office. And, like, it's, as you can imagine, like, the coolest office in the world. Like, he has every championship belt that existed, either the originals or the replicas on his wall. So he had uh, Buddy Rogers' original belt, San Martino's, um, Pedro Morales, Hogan, Warrior, you name it. All the versions, the white strap, everything else, including his own. And the spinny, you know, the John, at the time, the John Cena spinny belt. But he had, like, the, um, the helmet that he wore at WrestleMania with the sledgehammer, like, mm-hmm. framed um, and all this stuff. And I was like, I can't believe I'm in here. Like, I, you know, I felt like I was, you know, breaking and entering, to be honest. Yeah. But um, <laughs> And well, big spoiler alert, this guy didn't end up being his assistant for too much longer after that. Um, <laughs> and that you, you let Burstein in here? You're fired. But, but you let that fucking piece of garbage in here, Barry, get the shovel. Um, no, he was really, um, it was really, really cool. And I walked by Vince's office and everything. I didn't get to go in there, but, um, so you only yeah, had saw, that, that one meeting with Vince at the ACDC show. That, that was that's like, all I needed. That was so yeah. cool. And, uh, it, by the way, like him, like, you know, as, as the night progressed and, 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 you know, Corey's like, watch the damn show. What's with you? You know, like pay attention. I, I kept, cause I kept, you know, it's like ACDC playing. I kept on like turning around to watch them and watching like, Vince McMahon like boogie to like back in black. <laughs> I would be I would be right there with you. I wouldn't be able to focus on AC. I couldn't focus on the show, and yeah. AC is one of my favorite bands and such a good live band. And I, I could not focus because I just wanted to watch like you know him and John Laurinaitis and Brother Love like dance with these like hot twenty year old blonde girls. <laughs> like my like if I was there with you, I would just be paying attention. Like does Vince McMahon even know any of the word? Like okay, this is back in black. Yeah, like is he gonna sing along? <laughs> You know, like that would be, I would totally. He was, I think I read somewhere. It's like, they're actually his favorite bands. Well, I think they're like the only band he likes just because he's so in his bubble and they played SNL that one time that The Rock hosted. That's right. And that's that's how he became a fan of theirs. And like ever since then, he's all about them because he appreciates the spectacle that they, that they put on with their show, you know? Uh, but you know, we're before we wrap up. I, I just wanted to ask. Now you're, of course, at Alt Press. Yes. You have uh, the the AP Awards coming up in a few weeks. Yeah, it's about about a month away, uh, July 18th in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, I want to talk about the first AP Awards that you did, uh, which was a huge, huge night in Cleveland. And I remember it was CM Punk's first public appearance at the time since quitting WWE, which was like. A really big get, I feel. Like yeah, yeah. Nobody was, was able um, to, to get him. How, how did? You, how were you able to secure that? That was, uh, yeah, that was that was funny. Like it's funny because like, when I went to AP, you know, the staff there was pretty much like, hey, like 
we're not into wrestling. That was a that was kind of a revolver Golden Gods thing. And I was like, yeah. no, I totally get it. But there's this one guy, and the way I sold it to them was like, this is so funny. I'm like, he's the Gerard Way of of wrestling. That's that's how I tried to put in their terms of like, um, you know, My Chemical Romance is broken up. No one knows what this guy's going to do next. Um, like this guy was the biggest wrestler in the world, and he just quit and walked out, and no one knows what he's going to do next. But I could get him here because I knew. You know, just try to appeal to him for, uh, you know, in the simplest of terms. He is a, as Chris Jericho is the biggest wrestling fan, um, CM Punk is a legitimate punk rock guy, bouncing soul. Biggest metal fan, you mean? Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, exactly. Yeah, Chris loves metal, and, and, and CM Punk is that equivalent for, you know, classic punk rock. So, uh, bouncing souls, uh, rancid, any of that stuff. And, um, you know, he, he originally was like, oh, I'd like to host the award show. I was like, oh, we'd already you know, booked Mark Hoppus, which was, you know, obviously the right choice there. But um, I was like, what if you host the red carpet and, and do all these interviews and stuff? Um, and the minute, man, the minute we were able to, we couldn't, we had booked him months earlier, but I couldn't, I had actually, we had actually reached out to him when he was still with WWE. And when everything fell through, I just stayed in touch with him and said, hey, listen, like, I don't, you know, I don't really care. Like, you know, we, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I invited you. Um, I want you here, you know, uh, regardless of your day job. Um, and he, you know, dude, he like, he like drove himself to the award show and like, <laughs> he was really, you know, as punk and DIY as you, you would expect. Um, and it was so cool. I, you know, we, we very late in the game, we booked body count to perform. And I said, Hey, listen, you're already going to give, we, Billy Corgan was getting an award. And I said, listen, I know Billy's a big wrestling mark. I bet I could get CM Punk to, uh, um, give the speech. Um, and my bosses were kind of like, ah, I should be another rock star. I'm like, trust me. And Billy, well, Billy Corgan found out he was like over the moon and he actually cornered CM Punk all night, like harassing him with wrestling questions. Um, <laughs> but I said, would you also introduce body count? And he goes, Oh my God, my first wrestling match ever when I was 15 at a backyard wrestling, uh, match was, uh, I came out to there goes the neighborhood was my entrance theme. I was like, this is perfect. Like, I'm going to introduce you to Ice-T and you're going to introduce them. So I just tried to make it a special night for him, you know, and make him feel like he was a fan. Um, and he was great. But, man, the minute we announced it publicly that he was coming, that was that was 80%, 90% of all of our uh, press wanted to just talk to him. Um, because everyone was wondering what was going to happen next, you know, and all those sports uh, – People came down and, and uh, you know, CBS, NBC, they were all asking him, like, what is he going to do next? And I think that he said something on the on the red carpet, like, I will never, ever, 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 ever go back to WWE ever again. I was like, whew, wow. Because, you know, I, I, as unbelievable as this may sound as 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 a wrestling fan, I, I never dared ask them any details. I just kept it all about the business at hand and never, I, I just wanted him to be comfortable. You know, yeah. I, didn't want, I didn't want him... I didn't want to mark out in front of him and ask him a bunch of his dumb questions. I always kind of did the same thing with Chris. I just always try to keep it on a professional level. Sometimes I would ask wrestling questions, but I always tried not to because I don't want to make them uh, feel weird. Um, like, you know, if, if, if they know you're a super fan, they're probably just going to clam up a little. So, um, but yeah, he was, it was awesome that he was there. And I can tell you all the rock stars on the carpet when they got up to talk to him were like, holy shit. CM Punk and they were like they were asking him more questions than he was supposed to ask and um, I tried getting him back last year uh, he just he had entered into training uh, in Wisconsin and just couldn't uh, they couldn't make the trip um, and that led to me you know calling the WWE back up and uh, 
you know, we had Paige came last year and Summer Ray and uh, Corey Graves and uh, and and Corey's been now a regular columnist for the magazine and um, we, we're doing a ton more stuff now. We have a partnership with NXT where we, uh, um, you know, if you look at what NXT does for their pay per views, all their music is like Motionless and White, Bring Me the Horizon, Baby Metal, A Day to Remember. We're all swimming in the same pool uh, content wise and. Uh, Andy Black, so it's it's it makes sense, and uh, we've been working uh, a lot now with WWE Music Division and NXT to help cross promote a lot of their stuff, uh, which obviously led to um, uh, you know me organizing that that uh, Corey Taylor punching Baron Corbin thing uh, at the festival. Yeah, last. let's. Let, I, I was just going to ask you about that. Uh, how did that? Like, I know Corey Taylor, obviously a huge, huge wrestling fan, and not just like like a, a, a fair weather wrestling fan, like he pulls out some obscure reference, like, like a Tully Blanchard, Arn Anderson reference. Yeah. Which I was like, all right, this guy knows his shit. Uh, how did you, how did you book that angle? <laughs> so to speak? Right. How did you get that to happen? Uh, it started at the AP awards. We, uh, Corey Graves is going to be there. He was filming um, an episode of called uh, culture shock for the WWE network about, um, about the award show in general. And, you know, it was our 30th anniversary and we had, we had an exhibit at the rock hall um, and, uh, you know, we work very cl- closely with the Danny Wimmer Presents uh, team and Clay Bush over there. Mm-hmm. And I had already known in advance that, uh, you know, NXT was coming to all the fall, fall festivals. Um, it's funny because at first they're like, yeah, they're sticking us with their, like, their minor league team. I'm like, no, 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 guys, you don't understand. You stepped in it. Like, this is, you're actually getting the coolest thing at the right time. Like, this is going to be huge for your festivals. Yeah. And I said, and it's, we kind of talked, like, what can we do to promote, Awareness. I said we should. You know, we all talked about an idea of Corey Taylor and Corey Graves starting a fight backstage that we would stage. And we filmed this thing backstage, where Corey Taylor, Corey Graves is interviewing him, and then he basically says like, oh, "How do you feel about NXT headlining uh, AfterShock?" And you know, Corey Taylor is like, "Well, you know, Slipknot's headlining." He goes, "Yeah, yeah, we got a bunch of goofy guys in masks. You sure?" And like, and they really had like a really awesome kind of like fake fight on camera. Yeah, it it was pretty believable too. It didn't seem like they were mugging it. Yeah, there was like legit dissing each other. Yeah, and I really liked it. Um, And so we kind of leaked that from that moment. And the whole point was that Corey Graves would then be at the festivals, and this would parlay into something bigger. Um, But what happened is Corey, for which you know, Corey became the new. um, He does like the raw pre shows now. Yeah. So uh, he couldn't um, he couldn't be there. So um, we're like, oh, what do we do here? And went back to WWE, WWE, and their idea was, oh, like Baron Corbin will inherit the feud. Basically, we'll announce that Corey Graves can't be there. Corey Taylor will call him out, and then Baron Corbin will say, hey, man, Corey Graves won't be there, but I will. You got something to say? Say it to me. Now, who like when you're saying WWE said, like who specifically were you dealing with? When, when, um, when working this out, I worked with a guy over there um, named Adam uh, that I've worked with. He was the guy that actually brought CM Punk to the first Revolver Golden Gods. I worked see, for so. about 10, 12 years now. Adam Hopkins, great guy. Uh, he's the head of, um, I say artist relations, but I think he's more head of PR. Got it. Great, 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 solid guy. Just like the media liaison, basically. Yeah, exactly. It out. Exactly. And he's been at all the, I, he's the guy I always kind of met, uh, mostly dealt with for all these award shows and stuff. And, He's become a, a good friend. Um, so we pitched this all to them, and you know we didn't really know what was going to happen other than I wanted to get Corey Taylor at ringside uh, for the NXT event. Um, we get down there that day and, and set everything up, and I got to go backstage at the NXT tent, which is cool because all of a sudden, like, 
they're like whisking me back there like I'm important and like Finn Balor is sitting there and Samoa Joe and Bailey and all these other people. Um, and I sit in a little area with like Corey Taylor and his wife, Baron Corbin. Um, I don't know his real name, but Prince Albert. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's like he's he's the kind of like the main. He's kind of like the boss over there for that. Yeah, Jason. I think it's Jason something. I forget. Yeah, yeah. Matt. It's Matt. Oh, Matt. Oh, Matt Bloom. That's Matt what it Bloom. Is. Thank you. Who is massive in person? And it's funny. Baron Corbin and I had met at the Golden Gods because he was Maria Brink from In This Moment's boyfriend. Oh wow. So uh, they're not dating anymore, but at the time, she's like, oh, I, I was good friends with Maria, and, and she introduced me to her boyfriend who played for the St. Louis Card- uh, for the Arizona Cardinals as a football player, and he was getting into wrestling. And I was like, okay, you should. You're fucking gigantic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I kind of you know, reminded him that we had met before through Maria, and I said, you know, it'd be great if you know, Corey could kind of like shove Baron, and the WWE officials are like, he can't have any physical contact. Like, that's, a, that's an insurance issue, blah, blah, blah. And Baron was like, dude, I don't care. He's like, actually, he's like, Corey, hit me in my face as hard as you can. And he goes like, and Corey Taylor's like, dude, I'm, a, I don't want to hurt you. He's, and he just kind of snickered. He was like, hit me as hard as you fucking can, man. Like, don't worry about <laughs> it. And um, we set the whole thing up and planned it all out when it would happen and with Samoa Joe because he was in the match. And uh, we had all of our cameras there and Slipknot's team had their cameras there. And lo, you know, he, it was Baron did an awesome job. He kind of came out and like took off a shirt at the beginning of the match and threw it in Corey's face. He goes, hold on to that. I'll come and autograph it for you when I'm done kicking this guy's butt. I was like, oh, that's a great heel, you know, move right there. And he, he finally came over to a mid-match and started yelling in his face and Corey Taylor open hand slapped him, um, which is, I, I think, technically more insulting than an actual punch. Um, and that led to Samoa Joe, uh, you know, body slamming him, whatever, and then pinning him and winning the match. And, you know, and then Samoa Joe and Corey Taylor held, held their hands up together afterwards. And it was awesome. And we had all like, we had all the exclusive footage and we released it all that day. Uh, and then it ended up like trending worldwide and all these different uh, outlets. So yeah, it was huge. Like I can just say just with metal injection, it was, it blew up for like your footage on our site, like blew up for us. So I can only imagine how much yeah. you got I mean, the it blew up for Metal world. Hammer, it blew up yeah. for Loudwire, it blew up for um, for AP. Uh, WWE ran with it; they had their own angles of it, and um, <laughs> we and we did like we ended up doing like two more videos, like the making of or what really happened backstage. We ended up cutting all these other promos, and then uh, that went so well. I had all the other wrestlers interview the rock stars there. I just like I jumped off camera. I was like, I don't want to do any more interviews. And I, you know, the vaude villains interviewed suicidal tendencies. Uh, um, uh, Bull Dempsey interviewed Beartooth. You know, we just we just kind of mixed it up and had fun with it. Um, uh, but it was great, and you know, and and Corey Corey had the time of his life. You know, this is his dream come true to get involved with wrestling. You know, so uh, and Baron, of course, was not hurt. You know, after that, and uh, Corey, that was, it's kind of crazy to think about. Like Corey Taylor, one of the biggest rock stars right now in the world, and you and he's there like being a fanboy and, and a total fan. Because uh, uh, it's pro wrestling, you know, it, it's pretty wild. It's a pretty wild juxtaposition. It's it was really um, it was really great, and uh, you know, like Corey's another guy that over the years is just you know, you you don't want to work with that guy enough. Like he's such a he's such a a, a great you know. You always say you know, don't meet your idols or you know whatever the expression is, and um, I, I find for the most part most of the especially in heavy metal most people you meet are are just better than you can imagine, you know. And, uh, he's certainly one of those guys that are just so wonderful to work with, and we've done so many cool projects together over the years. 
Right on. And so you have the AP Awards coming up next month. Next month, yeah. It's and unfortunately it will be wrestling free. Um, we came dangerously close. So, I mean, you you never know how close we had it. Where NXT was going to do um, a show in Columbus the night before, and then all the wrestlers were coming to the award show, but. We hit an unfortunate snag, and it's not in the cards. And of course, the show is on a Monday night, so it's uh, opposite Raw. So it'll be pretty wrestling free this year. But um, um, great show, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure this might be a question of yours, but I, I do treat a lot of what I try to treat a lot of the booking as you would uh, a stunt booking or uh, like a match. You know, obviously, yeah. we just announced uh, Baby Metal is going to be performing with Rob Halford, and which is such great. But like, I I I left a message on your Facebook at the time, like amazing booking like a way to get a way to shut up the metal haters on baby metal is throw rob halford in there because you can't shit on rob halford no you know no one knows this but like you know like for every for everything you see on those award shows there was uh double the amount of things that didn't get booked or didn't didn't get signed off on uh at the height of adam lambert's success on um american idol we had almost booked adam lambert and Rob Halford to sing Hellbent for Leather together on the Golden God Awards. And, I, and my, my argument at the time was no one's going to boo Rob Halford. Even if this kid's yeah. up there, no one's going to boo Halford. Um, and it's been it's, – it, the baby metal thing is interesting. It's like um, you know, a lot of the haters are like, oh, this isn't real metal. And, 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 I, and I, I see the argument on the, on the other side with, uh, with punk. This isn't you – know, you have the punk police and the metal police um, – uh, 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 arbitrarily deciding what is metal, what's not metal, what's punk, what's not punk, and that's an argument that no one will ever win. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I do know that Rob Halford is metal as fuck. So, um, <laughs> yeah. and uh, that was that was two years of planning. Uh, that we've been trying to do that for years. Um, I tried booking Baby Metal and Halford last year. Uh, the the stars couldn't align. Um, I arranged for those those teams to meet at the Tokyo Dome last year. Um, they met and I guess hit it off, and from there I was allowed to kind of reapproach the idea. Um, but awesome. I can't give away too many details. But as a, as a Rob Halford or Priest fan, you will not be disappointed. And now, like, do you book the award show kind of like one would book like a big pay per view, where like you have like your main event, your mid show main event, and kind of like peaks and valleys with it with it? Well, if you look at it like if you look at like uh, any pay per view, right? There's like the big main event. There's like the cred match. I don't know if that's like a Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn match. There's yeah. the, the snap. You have to kind of do. You have to kind of uh, please several masters, right? So you have to you got to sell tickets. Um, you have to um, <clears throat> stay true and be on brand for what AP is. Um, you want to have some OMG moments in the show that will get traction when the show is over. Um, you know, you look at you look at the last weekend, right? There was the Krang Awards and the Gold, Metal Hammer Golden God Awards, and um, you know, like, the, like what are the two big storylines from this weekend? And that's I, I do I, I sadly or proudly think of everything in wrestling terms. What are the Same story- here. <laughs> What are the two storylines? Guy from Skindred is sort of completely racist against baby metal, and uh, Joey Jordison um, has MS. Yeah, you know, so like, those are the prevailing stories, at least from being in America, that have come out of those two award shows. Um, I'm sure there's a lot more cool things that have happened, you know, um, but those are the prevailing, prevailing storylines. Um, and, uh, you know, you hope that there's at least four or five good storylines that come out of what happened at the show that people could kind of latch onto and, uh, talk about because, uh, the success of a show is not so much what happens that night, but what happens afterwards, you know, and, um, you know, wrestling, wrestling does it so right. You know, they're, they, they're social media and how they treat social media is done on such a level that 
uh, of, of precision that I, I completely admire and uh, I'm in awe of how well they do it. Um, and uh, I, I think, uh, you know, to me, it's such an interesting, I think the music business could learn so much from the wrestling business uh, of how it's run. And I think you talked about that with, uh, maybe it was with Josta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking about like creating a metal WWE network and how going, how that, how difficult that would be just to get all the licensing for that. I'll, I'll let him start that and then I'll, I'll come by later. <laughs> it's yeah. tough. It's, it's so tough. But, uh, you know, and it takes someone like a Vince McMahon to, you know, you're probably not going to be well liked by everybody. And it's probably, it took someone like a Sharon Osbourne to do Ozfest who probably had her uh, detractors. Um, but, you know, for, for at least 10 years, did something very important for the metal uh, world. And, you know, that evolved into mayhem when that stopped. And then yeah. mayhem is now, you know, uh, put to bed and that will evolve into, I guess, not fest, right. Or not fest, not fest. And well, that's, that's all. Only, yeah. Unfortunately, that's not a tour. That's only just one thing. Right. It's kind of a festival. Yeah. It's a destination. But anyway, I think, uh, I think we've, we've chatted uh, quite a bit. We're, yes. It's one of the longer episodes of Squared Circle Pit. But Josh, thank you so much for uh, taking time for out, of, out of your very busy schedule. I'm sure, just to just to shoot the shit. Uh, anytime, and and, uh, and and congratulations on doing this podcast. I I, uh, I I think I feel like you kind of personally made it for me. Um, and, uh, <laughs> uh, I enjoy every episode, and uh, I, I love what you're doing here. And uh, uh, may you have hundreds of more episodes. And if I could ever uh, help uh, put you in touch with any of our fellow uh, metalhead wrestling fans. Uh, let me know I could be part of the part of the cause. I would love that. I would love that. Uh, we could definitely talk off the air about that. I have a few few questions. But yeah, thank you so much. And I actually created this podcast. I, I'm glad you say that you feel like it created for you because I honestly did it completely selfishly for me because I'm like, I want to talk. I, I want to talk to these people specifically about wrestling. How could I, what kind of bullshit story can I give them to get them on the phone for 45 minutes or an hour just to talk wrestling? And, and I was like, oh, oh a podcast. Great. It's great, and uh, you know, it's 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 funny, like you said, it's like it's like that other secret community, and um, once you have those conversations, uh, you know, I'm sure you and I could do a, a 20 hour podcast. To be honest, yeah. so, um, it's it, it's really great, and um, I'm such a um, I'm so proud to be a. Fan. I'm, I'm glad that we don't have to kind of hide in the shadows anymore. Thank you so much to Josh Birdsey for taking some time out of his day to. Enter the squared circle pit. I'm sure you, you heard uh, some text message sounds there. His bosses were like, what are you doing? Let's go. We have work to do. Uh, I wanted to uh, thank you for listening, of course. Once again, my handles are at Rob Injection. And you can follow squared circle pit, facebook.com slash squared circle pit. Or on Twitter, squared circle pit without the E in circle. I want to leave you today with the promo we talked about. Uh, with Andy from Black Veil Brides accepting the Golden Gods Award and completely turning heel on the audience. See you in a few weeks. And the Affliction Song of the Year is... In the End by Black Veil Brides! Let's fucking hear it! I love all the fucking booze. That means we're doing something fucking right tonight, I think. All right, so you guys don't fucking know this, but this is our third award in a Yuru. Let's go. Here's the thing. You motherfuckers should have voted for somebody because Black Veil Brides won three years in a row. That's called history, motherfuckers.
Let me say one thing. I know that you fat motherfucker and you right there, you hate us, but I'm holding a heavy as shit award, so fuck with me right now, motherfuckers. Here's the thing, Black Veil Brides have a song on the radio, you have a fucking fat ass. Fuck me, come on. I don't care what any of you fat bearded motherfuckers say. Black Veil Brides won the best song of the year. In the end, this one goes out to Urban Flanders. Fuck you. Well, that went well. <laughs>